You're listening to Live with the League, part of the We Love Where You Live podcast series brought to you by the Michigan Municipal League. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. I'm Matt Bach, Assistant Director of Strategic Communications with the Michigan Municipal League. And you have stumbled upon Live with the League, our uh, uh, every other week, uh, Monday at noon conversation with our Lansing legislative team. And uh, we also have frequently have guests. Today, we have a very special guest. We're joined by Eric Bussis from the uh, Michigan Department of Treasury. And we're here uh, to kind of answer your questions about the American Rescue Plan Act. And uh, <clears throat> I have a bunch of questions for Eric already. As you may or may not know, if you're a, a non-entitled, a non-entitlement unit of local government, uh, the Treasury has asked that you submit your ARP application by tomorrow. So it's a kind of a time crunch right now. Um, the Michigan Municipal League uh, got a list of the communities that had not yet submitted that. And it was really important for us that no communities leave that money left on the table. So we've been reaching out and making phone calls the last couple of days to well over 200 members that have not yet done uh, the portal and answering a lot of questions that have come in. So Eric, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. Hey, good. So uh, we're going to talk with Eric first, and then we're going to get to Harrisana and Jennifer Rick-Trink of our Lansing team. Uh, Chris and John are off today, so this was a good time to bring the Treasury on and really kind of help have him anchor the show with us. So I'm very pleased to have him on. If you have any questions, feel free to post them in the Q&A part of the, uh, the, the format here on Zoom, um, and we'll try to answer as many of them as we can. So Eric, uh, tell me a little bit about what is this deadline tomorrow and why is this important for communities to, to meet this uh, to, in order to get their ARP funding? Right. So the American Rescue Plan Act offers a significant amount of funding to uh, local units of government in Michigan. Um, and the state is in charge of passing on uh, about $644 million of this funding two eligible units uh, of local government in Michigan. So there's about 1,724 uh, local units of government that qualify for this funding. Um, and we're working to make sure that everybody knows about the funding uh, and can submit the request to receive uh, what they're eligible for. Okay. Uh, so the deadline tomorrow um, is really uh, an internal deadline to help us meet with local community needs and, and try to get this funding out as soon as we can. Um, there are a variety of different deadlines in the American Rescue Plan Act. Uh, and this is uh, one deadline that we've established to help us get this money out to local units. And I think your goals is like our goal. We, you know, we don't want any communities to leave this money on the table. This is all money that, that can help them emerge from the pandemic, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, different types of eligible uses for this funding that uh, both the state and local partners are all sorting through what this money can be spent on. And I know there's a lot of particular questions out there, but really the first step um, is to file the, the required paperwork and make sure that uh, your local community can receive this funding. Okay, so that's a great place to start. So where, how do they get started? I'll have our team post the links in the, in the chat as we're talking here. So what's the first step that they should do? I believe it's go to your website, correct? Yeah, <laughs> yep, go to our website. Um, we set up a pretty simple website with michigan.gov slash ARPA, A-R-P-A. 
Um, and at that website, there's documentation required uh, by the federal government uh, that needs to be filed. Um, so they can file that um, and find that documentation there. Um, we've set up an online portal uh, that hopefully a lot of uh, our local communities are familiar with um, that will allow them to file electronically. Um, it's through uh, what's called our elite system or you know, a system that you know, units file their F-65 uh, with our Bureau of Local Government uh, Services. So um, hopefully many of your members are familiar with that, but that's really the first step to go onto our website, find the required federal and state forms, and then uh, work to get that submitted uh, online. And then there's a specific portal that they log into, I believe, like you said, it's the elite system portal. We'll post that link in there too. Um, and that, that's really a lot of the questions we've been getting from members saying, I don't have my password, I tried to reset it, it didn't work. So what do they do if they just feel like they're stuck with that question for the, the initial login? Yeah, so there's a, an instruction set on our website about what to do uh, in order to get access to that website. Um, we also have a step-by-step -step recording uh, that our communications group has done um, that will walk them through the process. Is that uh, the video? Yeah, the video. Yep. yep. There's uh, like there's a 15 a, minute video. Very helpful. I watched it and step every single step that you can go through. Yeah, exactly. So that's, you know, we put that online. Uh, you can pause it, come back to it later uh, and use that as you file. Um, so that's really a great resource out there for people. Okay. So um, I, one of the common questions we get, it's like, well, I think I submitted it. I, I got to have a confirmation number, but I'm not really sure. Is there a way for me to check is there a way to see to make sure they've submitted or how will they know? Uh, not quite yet. We're working to post a, a document online um, with all the units that have submitted. Um, you know, we're really grateful to the league and a lot of our partners for help helping promote this. We've seen a really large increase in filings lately. Um, you know, we're up to about 1,100 uh, local units of government that have filed for this funding. Um, that's out that's of the 17. From, you know, <laughs> out of the 1700. So we certainly yeah. still have about 600 that are out there that we hope uh, will come in over the next day. Um, but we've, we have nearly doubled uh, since where we were last week. So uh, local communities are certainly spending a lot of time on this and, and getting this uh, filing in as soon as they can. Okay. So um, I got a lot of different questions uh, from people. Uh, one of the ones that, well, that I got a couple saying, well, we've been working on this, but we don't know if we're gonna be able to make it by the deadline tomorrow. Um, wh what, what happens if you don't make it by the deadline tomorrow? What, what would be the next step? Right, so I think the key takeaway is, you know, we're, we're requesting it by tomorrow. You know, if, if you know, it doesn't happen, you know, please continue to work on it and get it to us. Um, you know, we're going to start calling. Uh, the state has a number of responsibilities under the American Rescue Plan Act to document outreach, and um, we're going to be starting those. So you might be getting some uh, phone calls and emails from us if you don't meet that deadline, um, and we just encourage you to get it in as soon as you can. You don't want them to think, well, I missed the deadline, so I'm going to heck with it, you know, but that's exactly. what you don't want them to think. <laughs> you don't want them to think that. So, you know, if something happens tomorrow and you can't make it, yeah, you know, please just get it to us Wednesday. Or, okay. Or 
<laughs> okay. So uh, it's just some general questions I have as, as far as to try to just, if you can outline some of the, the, the basic uses, a lot of questions are like, well, what can I use it on? Can I use it on this? Or can I use it on that? One guy asked me, can, can I, I, I want to buy a new police car for a village. So can we use it on a police car? What are, what are some of the yes and no answers to those questions? Yeah. So the, uh, first of all, the uses of the funding um, is specific to the coronavirus local fiscal recovery fund. So, you know, we're talking about this as the American Rescue Plan Act. Um, but how, I mean, there's about 250 programs or more in the American Rescue Plan Act. So I just want to be specific that we're talking specifically about this non-entitlement uh, distribution um, under the coronavirus local fiscal recovery fund. Um, so there are really five main areas that the act allows uh, this money to be spent on. Um, the first is supporting public health expenditures um, in supporting mitigation efforts, uh, PPE, medical expenses, um, things like that, uh, similar to what we were allowed to spend CARES Act dollars on last year. Um, the, the next couple are, are broader. Um, addressing the negative economic impacts of the crisis, um, as well as replacing lost public service revenue. revenue. Um, so those are a little broader. Those are things that we didn't necessarily have in the CARES Act spending. Um, and there's a number of things that can fall under those. Uh, the final categories are uh, providing premium pay to essential workers. And there's a, a number of stipulations and guardrails about you know what can be uh, done with that funding, um, and then also the final one is investing in water, sewer, and broadband infrastructure. So those are really at a high level uh, some of the categories that this money can be spent on. Okay, so um, what are the common questions you get in that area from people? Like you have you got the questions? Can can I? can I buy a police car? And, and is there an answer to that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the Michigan Department of Treasury's role in this program is really to distribute the funding to local governments and provide information. Uh, so ultimately, those decisions uh, need to be made by the local unit of government. And uh, additionally, all the auditing that will be done with this uh, will be done by the federal government. So unlike the CARES Act, where the state had um, some audit responsibilities for like the coronavirus local government grants program, um, these will be audited by the federal government. So you really need to work with your finance staff, your legal team to review the, the guidelines and the interim rule uh, to make sure that the spending is in accordance with the act. Um, so certainly people are asking, you know, can I buy a police car? Can I buy certain things? Um, and, and the answer to those a lot of times, unfortunately, is it depends. And, you know, there are, I will say that there's a lot of restrictions on um, some of the capital assets and things you can do. Um, there are a lot of units of government though that, you know, given the calculation of the lost public sector revenue, um, there's a lot of flexibility, you know, after you establish that uh, revenue has been lost from the pandemic, then there is a lot more flexibility for that specific uh, amount of funding. So um, unfortunately, there's not a clear cut answer on a lot of those. Um, but the lost public sector revenue uh, is one area that 
uh, people are working to find flexibility in, in you know, spending right. some of that money. You, you touched on a good point there about the loss of revenue, and obviously that's important. I, one person, and I think the sound sounded to me, I, I responded to him saying, yeah, it sounds like to me it's a legitimate expense. He says, no, they're a UP community in the Upper Peninsula, and they said we have an ice rink every year, and we, we, have, we usually make about $60,000 in revenue for, the, for that from the ice rink rentals, but we didn't have that this year because of the pandemic. Would offsetting revenue like that be an eligible expense? Yeah, so there's there's actually a, a pretty well-defined set of how that revenue calculation works. Um, and it's based on the Census Bureau's uh, classification of revenue. So in the FAQ, and maybe we can post this, there's actually a, a really large chart about what revenue can and can't be counted uh, in that revenue loss calculation. Where would um, you find that on your, on your main page? Yeah, we can link to it. It's it's actually on the, the U.S. Treasury FAQ. Okay. It's the last page of the FAQ has a really uh, in-depth chart on how census calculates a lot of that. Okay. Um, now, I've had a couple communities say, well, we don't think we've lost any money because of the pandemic. We haven't had any kind of decline. Should we even bother applying then if we don't think we've, we've really suffered a, a loss? Yeah, so that's just one of the allowable uses. Um, I'll also note, and this gets a little bit into the weeds, but <laughs> loss is defined very particularly, um, and it's against a, what the U.S. Treasury Department calls a counterfactual uh, scenario where you would have had 4.1% revenue growth. So although you may not think you had a loss, you really need to look into uh, the definitions and calculations um, to see. But again, that's only one of the categories. So if there are other investments your community needs to make in water, sewer, or broadband, um, certainly those funds could be leveraged even if there wasn't a revenue loss. Okay. What about with like helping your businesses? Obviously, maybe your, your you know, your local businesses uh, have, have really suffered. Is there a way you can uh, assist them with this money? Yeah, so I'll, I'll point you to the kind of the second bucket there on addressing the negative economic impacts. Yeah. And the, the U.S. Treasury documentation has a lot of examples of what that might look like in your community um, and, and specifically how you can help uh, businesses, workers, um, specifically small businesses or impacted industries uh, like your res restaurants and hospitality sector uh, in ways that you can help them um, recover from the pandemic. Okay, so that's a way to, to do that. <clears throat> All right. Um, now explain to me. So I got another question about about that. Um, one one member said their F sixty five reporting isn't finished yet. I don't know what the F sixty five is, so you'll probably have to explain that to me. And so that that means that they they their assumption is then we they don't qualify for the funding because they haven't finished the F sixty five. Are those two related or? No, that's the first I've heard that question. So I'd encourage them to still file. Um, yeah, I, I, there's there's no requirement that they file their F-65 for this particular um, one. We certainly encourage them to get that done, uh, but they should still go ahead and file a request for okay. the Rescue Plan Act dollars. Okay, and then uh, we talked about public safety, the question related to that. Is, is there a presumption that all public safety payroll dollars are eligible for reimbursement as we mentioned, as was mentioned in a previous webinar that we did with you guys, I think. <laughs> yeah, so that goes back to some of the CARES Act programs um, and how you 
um, can account for uh, public health expenditures. Um, I'd have to look back at the guidance. I don't think it's worded exactly the same way it is in the CARES Act, but certainly a lot of those expenditures are going to be um, you know, eligible uh, in looking at that, that first classification of supporting uh, public health and public safety okay. expenditures. Uh, and once they have submitted their, their necessary paperwork through, through the portal, how quickly could they expect to start getting the money? And I know it comes in two tranches, so they'll get half this year and then half next year. So when would they, these NEUs, when would they get that first batch? We're, we're working through that right now. So we're setting up an audit team uh, to review these applications, hopefully pretty quickly. Um, you know, we're hoping early August, um, we're planning to make uh, payments weekly uh, based on the number of, of uh, units and applications that passed review uh, in the prior week. So we're setting up a team of people to look through hopefully 1700 uh, filings um, and all the associated documentation that goes with that. Um, so we're, we're hoping that you know early August, we're gonna start making these payments. But like you mentioned, half of this money will come uh, this year and half will come next year. Right, and I think it's really important to note the Michigan Municipal League from the very beginning has, has explained that this money does not have to be allocated. You don't have to actually have it budgeted till the end of 2024. You don't have to fully spend it till the end of 2026. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, um, there's a number of deadlines as to when um, you have to have this spent and we certainly have time. So the state has to get you the money pretty quickly uh, but you don't need to spend it uh, nearly that quickly. Um, so yeah, it needs to be incurred and um, you know, you know, almost encumbered by the end of 2024. Um, there are some provisions that allow it to go through the end of the performance period um, if it's already kind of locked in uh, by the end of 2024. So we're really encouraging units to take the first step, file, receive the funding, um, and then take their time in planning how to spend this in a way that's uh, responsible and uh, transformational to their community and, and really helps the community recover from the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, communities are getting, you know, varying large variety of, of, of rev or stream of, of money from this and it depends on the community, but we are really talking uh, at the league and you guys sounds like you are too saying, you know, really be deliberative and, and collaborative, go to your residents, you know, figure out how, how to best spend this money in ways that are most impactful, impacting the most number of people. Um, and it sounds like you guys agree with that too. Take your time. Absolutely. This is a lot different than the CARES Act programs where we were, you know, the state was sending money in August and September and you had to have it fully spent by the end of December. Um, so that was a much, you know, I think people are maybe used to that time crunch that we had last year, but this program is not that way. So you know, local communities really have time um, and they, you know, should take their time to, to decide how to spend this funding. Yeah. And like you said, you don't have to know how, when you accept this funding, you don't have to know exactly how to, how you're going to spend it. So you got time. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And, so, and one uh, note on that, although the funding comes in two tranches, um, you can't change your mind. So when we come out to do the, the second payment next year, um, if you've refused the money this year, you're not going to get the money next year. So U.S. Treasury has been very clear that this is a one-time election. Um, you're, you're accepting the grant this year. Um, and so that's, that's something that you need to really consider 
um, that you know you don't need to have all the plans on how to spend it, but you do need to make the decision um, on whether or not to take it right right now. Right. And what happens? Let's say if you accept it now and then later, or whatever you decide, well, we don't we don't really need that money, or maybe we they find out they get some more details that we're not eligible. What happens at that point? Yeah. So you would have to return the funding, um, and you know, in all after accepting it, it would likely end up going back to the federal government, but okay. um, you know, that's certainly it, a better approach. You know, there's a, at least a remedy that direction as opposed to, you know, if you deny the money now, you, you can't come back and change your mind later. Yeah, so that was my next question was, by, you know, we, we decided to reject it and then a week later, the council got some pressure and decided to accept it. What happens at that point? You're kind of out of luck. Right, so, um, you know, we have uh, like, sometime before these filings are, are officially due and we make payments but at the point that we make payments those those decisions are locked in okay. um, and you know really can't be reversed okay. so we have to send it to locals or send it back uh, to the state or in some cases send it back to the federal government and okay. once those determinations are made we really can't go back right now i do want to get we had a lot of questions about the top line budget um, and so tell me what that term means, top line budget, and then we'll go into some of the questions we've gotten on that. Yeah, we know that's a, that's a confusing term. So this is really a concept that's been created under the American Rescue Plan Act. So for non-entitlement units of local government, um, the amount of money that they can receive is capped at 75% of their budget. Um, and U.S. Treasury has gone out and prescribed what uh, this budget means. And it, it also says that uh, states can depend on what, what uh, local units tell us is their total budget. So it's really total top line budget. Um, we have a numbered letter that defines this specifically, um, but it includes appropriated funds and non-appropriated funds. Um, and it, it includes enterprise funds. There, are, it's a very broad definition um, that will allow uh, units to kind of capture their total operating activity and and some capital activity, um, in order it, to to make sure that you know they're not being unnecessarily impacted by the seventy five percent cap. Okay. Does that include the water and sewer funds? Yeah. So enterprise funds would. Uh, would qualify. And if there's not an appropriation there, um, you know, they'll just add in their most recent uh, audited financial statements. Okay. So, you know, it is kind of an odd calculation and something that's really just been created for this purpose. Now, uh, does it matter who's applying for those? So let's say, for example, a community has like a water and sewer authority. Should that authority be applying if they put, intend to use it for water and sewer or should still the municipality, the city or township or village or, or apply? Yeah, so you really need to work with your accounting and finance staff to look at the numbered letter uh, because it does, it does matter how you're organized and how those show up in your financial statements and whether or not it's a, a component unit or a standalone unit. Okay. Um, so yeah, that, that will really determine, be dependent on local circumstances. And, and one person asked us, okay, sorry. Uh, does one person ask, does the term, does, does sewer include uh, storm sewer? Is that part of that definition? So I think they're talking about the allowable uses I'm yes. guessing. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And I, yes, yeah, I'm looking at the, it, it does include, if you look at the US Treasury fact sheet, uh, it does say stormwater infrastructure is included. Okay. All right, a couple other um, top line budget item questions here. Um, see, one just says, I'm not really sure how to calculate it. I, I, this is a good point. That's a good question to, uh, to bring up this. The fact that the Michigan Municipal League, knowing that our communities were gonna have a lot of questions on this, we've set up a whole team of people through an initiative we're calling Serve My City. So if you uh, want to contact anyone, we'll put the email link for that group at Serve My City at mml.org and my is mi for Michigan in the middle there. Um, we'll put that in there, but if you have questions on, on how to submit this stuff, we're here there to help. It's a free service we're offering. We're doing it in partnership with public sector consultants. I know uh, the town or I know Mac Michigan Association of Counties also have a similar partnership they're doing where they're offering uh, assistance as well. So there is help out there. You're not in this alone. Uh, you can reach out to our Serve My City group. So uh, one of the questions, uh, you know, is, we kind of already addressed where do we get started, go to the website. Um, someone asked about, uh, my question has to do with premium pay. What is the process that Treasury would like us to use for, to declare uh, frontline village employees to be eligible for a pandemic bonus? So yeah, that gets back to kind of the whole overarching role of the state in this. Um, like I said, the state is really just distributing the money. So that's, you know, unfortunately, kind of a little more up to the local units to look at the guidance. Um, there is uh, guidance on from US Treasury about how they're going to audit um, these, uh, you know, essential worker payments. Um, there are per hour caps, and there are um, total overall caps on how much, you know, each individual employee can receive. Um, these can be done retroactively. Uh, as far as declaring uh, which employees are eligible, um, I am not familiar with a process that U.S. Treasury has prescribed, but they do have a list of the types of e examples of employees uh, that would uh, meet their definitions for what would qualify. So I'd, I'd refer them to that to that documentation, the guidance. Okay. Um... What about, see, I'll go back to this. I got a lot of questions to come in. So I'll try to get to many of these we can. Uh, please note if you're not, you know, this will be recorded. You're welcome to share this uh, recording on Facebook uh, with your Facebook friends, or we'll be sending out the link to this in a subsequent email as well. So this will be recorded. Um, uh, good question here. Uh, we have some unemployed residents that couldn't keep up with their water bills. Now the landlords are complaining that the bills are reverted to their property tax bills. Could we use ARP money to bail out the landlords? Um, I kind of have an idea what your answer is going to be to this one, but go ahead anyway. Yeah, yeah, we can't provide too much guidance, but I, I, I'd suggest they look into you know that broad category of addressing the negative negative uh, economic impacts um, because that does include you know some eligible uses for economic harms to workers, households, and small businesses. Um, so. You know, there's certainly, you know, it, it depends on how that program is structured, uh, but there certainly would be some opportunities that, that you could look at at the local level um, to try okay. to help that situation. All right, got a real specific question here, kind of in the weeds, but I'll ask it. Uh, form 5751 part four indicates that a copy of the actual budget documents validating the top line budget is required. 
when going through the process on the elite system, it didn't ask for that document to be uploaded. Does this documentation need to be submitted separately? That's a great question. I'm glad we got it because it comes up a lot. So it does need to be submitted, but not to the Michigan Department of Treasury. So there's a, a number of items that will be required that the uh, non-entitlement units will have to submit and the documents for budget are one of them, but those will come in the first federal reporting um, to the US Department of Treasury. So um, we're, there are a couple different uh, document types of documentation uh, in the reporting guidance that US Treasury has said they will require, um, but we don't need them at this time. So you don't need to put those in elite, uh, but we wanted to make sure that everyone knew that US Treasury will be requesting those. Okay. There's another kind of a top line budget related question of revenues are down from fines and fees during COVID because people were staying home and generating less activity, driving less. Would this be eligible to be reimbursed? And how would you calculate what was lost? Do you base that on 2019? Yeah, so US Treasury and the guidance has a number of specific calculations, uh, and that would likely be eligible. Um, what you would need to do is uh, look at your most recent pre-pandemic year, and then they have formulas on how to uh, assume, like, a, like I mentioned, a 4.1% growth on that revenue. Um, and then anything that comes in under that 4.1% growth um, would be eligible um, you know, to be backfilled with uh, the local fiscal recovery funds. Okay. Here's a question I don't understand, but you'll probably will more than I can. Uh, what is a component unit versus a standalone unit? I'm guessing that's some of the terminology used in some of the forms. Yeah, so um, I, probably on like enterprise funds like your water and sewer, sometimes they're a separate authority um, and sometimes they're presented in your audited financial statements um, you know, as a sub part, a subcomponent of your city or village. Um, and I am not a CPA, so I don't know all the weeds uh, about that, but I'd refer them to uh, our number letter and uh, their, their audit team to help them to determine what, what's included. Okay. Um, have you heard if equipment such as a sewer vector can be purchased with the funds in accordance with the infrastructure allowance, or is it more the actual in-ground infrastructure? I am not sure on that one. Um, <laughs> okay. I think the, yeah, I'd, I'd refer them back to that. Um, you know, just broadly the guidance uh, and documentation, it says necessary improvements to improve clean drinking water, support wastewater and stormwater. Um, so I'm not sure whether that type of equipment would meet the definitions. Um, yeah. How do you think, because a lot of these questions, you know, how do you think all these are going to get sorted out eventually? So is it, is it, you know, you think there are going to be people maybe down the road that's going to have, they thought this was an eligible loose use and then later they found out that it wasn't. So then what happens at that point? Will they have to send back the money? Right. So um, that's kind of the next step. And, um, you know, from the audits that will happen from U.S. Treasury. Um, so okay. you're absolutely right. I, you know, I don't know how they're going to select, you know, who to audit um, and how to, to look into that. Um, the state is kind of out of that equation, uh, which we're candidly thankful to be out of the middle of that. <laughs> right. 
Um, so that will that will certainly need to be sorted out in the future by the federal auditors and uh, the local units. Okay. So certainly, it's very important to maintain maintain documentation and you know maintain a lot of the the factors that went into these decisions from your legal counsel and your finance team to make sure that we you have this uh, because as we mentioned, you know local units have until 2024 in many cases, you know, even out into 2026. Uh, so, you know, when the auditors come around, you know, in five years, you may not remember exactly how you thought that expenditure tied to, to this eligible use. So really be thorough, um, you know, because we're going to, people will forget things uh, in the <laughs> right. future as so to how those decisions were made. So, so anything you can do to that make that easier. Yes. Because yeah. the federal government will be auditing this. And, you know, if, if you know, things are deemed ineligible, you may have to pay that back. Okay. All right. Uh, another kind of specific question. We lost parking revenue, which we use for road paving. Can we use the ARPA funds based on local revenue, but use the funds for infrastructure other than water or sewer or broadband? So yeah, that's a complicated question. So the infrastructure provisions in the allowable use are just for the sewer, water, and broadband, um, but they are correct to the extent that they have a revenue loss that they can document and um, calculate that then could backfill the, the type of revenue that was used to pay for the actual infrastructure, the, the roads and bridges. Okay. Um, so it, yes, it, if you go th down that uh, public sector revenue calculation, um, that's an avenue by which you can look at some of the infrastructure spending. Um, if we qualify under the lost revenue category, can you then use that money for any purpose other than to make one-time payments into pension plans? We didn't really talk about that, yep. but we know that it's pretty clear you cannot make this to pay off pensions. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I think that's yeah, that dovetails nicely with the last question. So if you have a revenue loss, you know, you have, you know, you can use that to backfill where the revenue would have gone, whether that's general fund, general purpose, or transportation. Um, that's really an avenue uh, that has a lot of opportunities uh, to give uh, cities and villages a little more flexibility. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, I think we kind of answered that one. I'm going to start. We are getting requests. Oh, wait, this is a good one. We are getting requests from outside groups for part of the money for for project like workforce housing. Is this allowable? And any suggestions on dealing with outside groups that may be coming into the community and say, hey, you know, we could use this money. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think uh, my suggestions would be go slow and really review the guidance. So there are certain provisions that allow uh, funding to be you know, shared with other uh, authorities or you know, units of government. However, you know, you're still going to have to maintain the audit trail and, you know, you would be responsible for some of the federal subrecipient monitoring. Um, and there's a lot that is entailed there. Um, so yeah, certainly go slow. Okay. Specifically on housing and some of the, you know, capital asset type acquisition and uses of the funding, there are additional restrictions and guidelines there uh, that they would need to look at. Okay. Um, one thing that says that if the township is or our municipality is having trouble getting the SAMS number, 
can they apply now without that number and finish the application after they receive the SAMS number? I don't know what the SAMS number is. I'm assuming it does not have to do with SAMS Club. So that's, I, right. I that's right. <laughs> so um, the SAMS system um, is the system for award management. It's managed by the federal government. Um, units need to have a SAMS registration at the time that they do um, their quarterly reporting uh, to the federal government. So not having a SAMS registration um, will not stop you from receiving this funding. So states can pay uh, non-entitlement communities prior to SAMS registration. We need you to have a DUNS number um, and you need to uh, be registered in SAMS by the time uh, you do your uh, federal reporting. However, we can still pay you if you don't have a SAMS number yet. Okay. Uh, but we I, do, you do need a DUNS number. Yeah, and that was my next question. We got a lot of questions about that. I tried to, re I didn't get my DUNS number. I'm trying to get it. Is, how long does that normally take to get it if it's been expired or? Sure, yep. And, and that's an, another good point that, you know, as we talk about this funding being extended out to 2024 and 2026, um, you know, SAMS registration needs to be maintained. And that's something you'll probably hear from the Michigan Department of Treasury quite often that, you know, you'll need to maintain your, your DUNS and your SAMS registration, um, you know, in some cases, SAMS annually to make sure that that's active uh, for under the, the DUNS number that you've applied um, to the state okay. of Michigan with. So. All right. Got a long question here. I, I don't really understand it, so maybe you do. In the interim final rule document, using funds for negative economic impact seems to be easier on qualified census tracts. Do you expect that municipalities will be allowed to use funds in block groups or blocks that meet the criteria for QCTs, i.e. poverty rate? What about census tracts that meet other criteria outlined in the negative economic impact guidelines. You can see why I was avoiding that question because I was a lot to read. Sure. That's <laughs> actually not too bad of a question. So there are certainly uh, much more flexible rules on qualified census tracts. The Michigan Department of Treasury has a, a GIS map just for informational use on what has been published as a qualified census tract. Um, and local units can get that on our webpage. They can look at the qualified census tracts in their community. And that does open a whole set of additional uh, flexibility um, that they can use uh, to spend the money in some of these low poverty areas. Um, and the federal government has uh, provided a list. Um, we've tried to map that accurately. However, uh, local units are still responsible for maintaining the documentation and checking that those are uh, eligible tracks. Um, so I th think that would be a, a good place to start is just on our website uh, to look at that map in your community um, to see what options exist. So okay. I don't know if that answered all the question, but. Yeah, I think, I think you did, <laughs> good job. Okay. So we talked about how cities are getting approached by groups and we have a group here that's actually one of the ones trying to approach cities. And they're like, we're a nonprofit. We've been meeting with our county and local government to see what priorities are on the radar and how we can help with programs. Is there a list of municipalities that haven't requested a ARPA online someplace? I believe you touched on this at the beginning, but that we had some vlog on late. So we'll go ahead and answer yeah, that one. Yeah, we, we, we don't have that list up yet, but we will um, you know, in the coming weeks with every community uh, that's eligible and whether they've applied or not. Uh, there's 700, sorry, 1,724 
um, non-entitlement units in addition to the counties in the metro areas um, that receive funding separately. Um, and of the 1,724, I think we've got about 1,100 uh, as of this morning that have gone in and requested the funding uh, in the elite system. So um, that, that uh, number is changing rapidly um, and you know, hopefully in the next week or so we'll have that list online. Okay, thank you. Sorry, my someone is at my door. My dogs are going crazy. I apologize. <laughs> no um, problem. Uh, does the oh, I get we got this question a lot. Um, it says, does the township have any obligation to share their ARP money with the village? And uh, we get questions from the village. I've had a couple of villages that I called say, well, our township is applied, so we don't have to apply, and that's not the case either. <laughs> so go that's ahead. That's not the case. Yeah. So the way that uh, overlapping populations work the village will have to apply and the village will receive uh, the allocation for the population that is inside the village uh, and the township will get the, the remainder. Um, so we know there was a fair bit of confusion about that. At the beginning when some of the initial funding estimates came out, villages weren't included in some of the estimates that came out of Congress, uh, but that's not how the actual program works. So villages do receive their own funding and they do need to apply uh, for it, for the funding from the state. And related to that, can township funds be used in municipalities that are, that are in the township if both units receive the funds? So I'm not sure, do they have to, can they, can they, they can't really share their money or can they pool them? Or I'm not sure if that's the question there. Yeah, so they, they could work together and they should work together. Um, and the township can provide, use funding, um, you know, for areas that are inside the township uh, and also inside the village. Um, and local communities, you know, really, we're encouraging local communities to work together um, to make sure that this funding is spent in a, in a transformational and impactful way. Uh, and that's, that's one great way that they could collaborate especially around infrastructure. Um, you know, there's, those are areas that are um, easy areas to collaborate. Okay. And does road maintenance such as snow plowing fall into essential workers? I think that was a, also kind of a CARES Act question earlier. Um, for the essential employee bonuses, um, I'd ha you'd have to look at the, the federal guidance. Um, I think that they probably um, would fall under that public sector uh, service category. It's a pretty broad uh, for, for those employee um, essential worker premium payments. So yeah, I, that would all be right. the place to look. Okay, thank you. Um, I think that as all the Q&A questions, did I miss Betsy or Kristen, my helpers? Uh, did I miss any questions in the chat that I, that I didn't see? Some are overlapping, looks like they post in both places. So. I wanted to see if there's any other questions for Eric that uh, we should address. The only one I'm seeing is how can we verify that our township have met the July 27th, 2021 deadline? Until we get that list online, um, that would that would be the, the one place. Um, okay. Do they get a confirmation email or something once they've submitted or they get a confirmation number? Yeah, they'll get a confirmation um, that they submitted um, and, a, and a printout of their um, submission will be available on the elite system. Um, okay. 
and we are working uh, to make all of this documentation public. Um, this will be available on the, the elite uh, public side uh, through searches. Um, I'm not sure exactly what's available right now, but yeah, that's the, the goal. Right. I, I think it's interesting. One thing we didn't talk about, um, it's probably it's probably not it's probably both above both of our pay grades. <laughs> but like one of the questions is, you know, I'm a former newspaper guy and I'm a comms communications person for the Michigan Municipal League. So let's say you do reject this money. I do know as, as a former newspaper reporter, that would probably be a story, a news article that if you don't accept accept this money, they're gonna come to you and say, Well, why aren't you accepting this money? So uh, what do you, I mean, do you agree with that? And what do you think, um, you know, should that be something they, they think about as far as, you know, just the perception of, of, you know, whether this money is needed or not in your community? Yeah, I think that's a local decision. And I, you know, we've heard from a number of um, communities that, that won't be accepting the money um, simply because, um, it is a cost benefit analysis that each community needs to look at the needs in their community, the impact from the, the pandemic, um, and then also the ad additional costs that go with reporting. Um, you know, this is going to be a program that you know, lives on for five years and um, some communities may, you know, especially smaller communities may look at the amount of money and say, you know, really, we don't think that, um, you know, this is necessarily a, a good use of money given the additional expenditures we're going to need to take on to handle the reporting and the, the determinations and the audits. Um, that's certainly a minority of communities. Um, sure. you know, I think of the 1100, um, right now there's you know, a handful that, that have denied the funding. Um, so the vast majority have accepted it, but that's certainly a local decision and the law affords that decision to them. Yeah. And I, again, that's also, you know, a lot of the, we, we recognize a lot of the communities have bandwidth issues where they're not just not able to have the staffing to, to do the required paperwork. And that's where our Serve My City program for league members, our, our cities, villages, and we have a handful of urban township members. Like I said, I know the county has a similar program. I'm guessing the townships association also has some assistance available. So, you know, feel free to reach out to your local associations at which you remember and, and see if there is help. Like for us, it's servemycity.mml or servemycity at mml.org. Um, you can reach out to us. Eric, anything else you want to touch on? I appreciate all your time this morning. This has been a fantastic conversation. You really answered a lot of our questions. No, nothing, nothing else to add. Just continue to work on those applications and um, we're working to keep up on the emails and phone calls coming in. Um, so, you know, you might not hear back from us right away, but we're, we've got a team working on it. And, you know, as soon as we get these applications, we're setting up a team that's going to review them uh, and hopefully start processing them shortly. Okay, great. And one quick question, how quick does the confirmation come? So if they submitted it on Friday, when will they know? Or how will they, is it immediate or is it a couple days? No, the confirmation that I was talking about is just right on the web screen. It will, it will show you that your submission has uh, been accepted or it was successfully submitted. Okay. And we talked a lot about the non-entitlement units of government. There are, of course, you know, uh, bigger cities that have a kind of a different area um, do you know if, if there are entitlement cities, can they apply to the county for additional dollars? Because we know the counties are getting their own share as well. Do you know if that's something they do or they just ask the county and see? <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know of any provision in uh, the American Rescue Plan that bars that. Uh, okay. But counties receive their own allocation, then metro cities 
also received their allocations. Um, and you know the, the allocations for metro cities and um, counties were quite a bit larger. Um, so I think in Michigan, um, like metro cities, you know, received roughly 1.8 billion, whereas the, the non-entitlements are about 644 million. Okay. Um, and counties are about 1.9 billion. So um, the, the categories for counties and metro cities uh, received much larger allocations. Um, they're right. working with you know, their local communities to try to spend that. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Eric, so much. I am going to bring, uh, appreciate it very much, your time thank today. You. I'm going to bring on Harrison and Jennifer. Thank you. Uh, Harrison and Jennifer, just real quick, uh, we don't have a whole lot. Uh, they are, legislature is on recess right now, I believe. So, uh, but Jen, I did want to ask you quickly, there was an announcement, uh, or actually, I believe there was going to be an announcement uh, this week um, from the governor about uh, using some of the ARP money on housing. Uh, is there any light you could shed with that and what our communities could expect in that area? <laughs> She's, you're on mute, Jen. <laughs> you're on mute, Jen. <laughs> there you go. All right. Can you, now yes, can you hear you. Yep. Okay. Um, no, I don't have any more information about that yet because it hasn't been announced. Um, I did just miss a call um, from Mishta though. So maybe I'll have some more information in my <laughs> okay. voicemail or when I return that call about when that announcement is going to be. But I mean, pretty much what you just said, we anticipate the governor is going to be making an announcement this week about um, possibly some ARP um, dollars and, and what that's going to be allocated to at Mishta with housing, possibly the uh, Housing and Community Development Fund. Um, but we'll get a blog out as soon as we have some more information. Okay, and, and Jen, I know you've been uh, following, we've talked a lot about here on, on the show, the short-term rental issue. Anything new to report on that? Any activity on that? <laughs> um, I know I probably sound like a broken record. I mean, we are still negotiating um, and trying to you know, find that middle ground. Um, I encourage everyone to continue to talk to your legislators. I know that you're probably getting fatigued talking about this issue. Believe me, I'm getting fatigued. I know legislators are getting fatigued, um, but we need to continue to have the conversation. Um, I was at MME on Friday uh, doing the legislative update and a, a good point was raised there that do not assume your legislator, even if they are a former local government, um, you know, staff or elected, uh, whether at the, the local or the county level, um, remembers how zoning works. Um, it's been amazing, um, just those simple, you know, what's the difference between a police power ordinance and a, and a zoning ordinance um, and how the mechanics of this issue actually works. So, you know, while they're on break right now, um, try to hit those coffee hours or schedule a call or uh, an office visit with your uh, legislator and, and talk through this issue and talk about this, you know, the, the systematic way it works in your community and why preempting um, you from being able to regulate short-term vacation rentals is not a good thing and how it also um, just exacerbates the housing issues that we're already having when it comes to workforce. Whether it's affordable, attainable, you pick your word that you want to use. Um, but we have a housing issue and not being able to regulate short-term vacation rentals in those places 
that are high destination areas, it, it's just going to be detrimental. Okay, thank you. Uh, Harrisana, another announcement that has been made uh, was regarding uh, a plan um, for bridges uh, by the Senate. Uh, we did include a, a statement or quote for their statement that sent out about that. That was a thing that was proved. Tell me a little bit about that and uh, uh, what's kind of the next steps on that issue. For sure, Matt. So last time, since our last episode of Live to Lead, the Senate did convene and pass $1.5 billion in funding to local bridges and roads. So this includes $1.3 billion to go specifically to local bridge rehabilitation, $200 million for local roads, and then an additional $126 million for rail, rail grade separation, excuse me. Um, so really helpful to our locally owned bridges that some have been completely closed, some have been restricted, and other ones have been rated as significantly in need of repairs. And so we are very excited to see those dollars that have been appropriated to the state go to something that our communities have been working to do. And with the loss of revenue and COVID-19, this is going to be incredibly impactful. So we'll continue tracking this um, as it moves through the House. It's Senate Bill 529 uh, from Senator Schmidt. And as you mentioned, Matt, there is lots of information about this on our blog, including a statement from our CEO and Executive Director, Dan Gilman. Great. All right. Well, thank you. Well, thank you, Jen and Harrisana. Thanks for hanging on and listening to Eric. Uh, Eric, I appreciate his uh, his involvement in the show today. Everybody, it was a great, great show. And this will be recorded. You can watch it after the fact. So feel free to spread the word about it. If you hear some of your municipalities are having some questions about the American Rescue Plan Act dollar and the portal and all the different things, uh, we're happy to please share this, uh, this conversation with them. Thank you, everyone. Jen, did you have something else? I was just going to add for those, I know a lot of people have been um, following legislation on stormwater utility authorities. Um, we did get a bill, John, um, there was a bill a week ago introduced in the Senate, Senate Bill 593, and we do anticipate that being introduced in the House as well. Um, but I know a lot of people have been following that legislation the last few years, and so just wanted to make um, you aware of that that did get introduced in the Senate. Okay, and I will mention just a couple of things coming up. We do have our Michigan Association of Mayors Summer Conference coming up. You can find the details on our event calendar at mml.org on that. Our next Live with the League will be August uh, 9th on Monday at noon. Um, we'll have a more conversation, I'm sure, on all these different issues. And then our convention, of course, uh, the registration is now live for our convention. You can go to convention.mml.org to learn about that. Um, uh, the convention is September 20, I'm, in, I'm gonna blow the date, so I'm not gonna say it. The last week of September, I should have written it down. Uh, uh, September 22nd to the 24th, I believe that's right. Um, and that's in Grand Rapids in person. So we're hoping to see a lot of people, a lot of familiar faces that we haven't seen in a while. So <clears throat> feel free to uh, write down those dates and, and register for those events. Thank you once again for joining us. I'm Matt with the league. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Harrisana. Thank you, Eric. And thanks, Betsy and Kristen, for helping us behind the scenes. Have a good day. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mnl.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.